0: Hello and welcome to Boothcast. It's a show where I speak to people who have inspired me about sport, business and the winning mindset. Today we have on the show Corey Hill, who's an absolutely outstanding ocean ski paddler, an all round good guy. And I'm really excited to have this chat with him today. So hello, Corey, how are you? Good, mate, how are you? I'm all right. So I guess most of my interviews, I want to start off with um, how you got into the sport. Um, Basically, I want to go through your background and I want to see how like, What's moulded you um, in the past has made you into the person you are today. So, let's give it a bit of a background to our viewers on where you're from and how you got involved in sport.
1: I guess it all started when I was really young in um, in Adelaide, so Grange Grange Surf Club, and um, dad was the coach down there. Owned a couple of swim pools, and it was just I guess natural for me to to learn to swim and and um, get involved in the surf club and the community there. Um, fast forward a fair few years. I turned 15. We moved up to the Gold Coast for a bit of a lifestyle change, get up here and um, thought it was going to be all theme parks and, and a bit of a holiday, but then you realise you've still got school, school work and uh, everything else that goes with it. So, um, yeah, Dad was the nipper coach at Northcliffe and ever since. So the last, we moved up in 2014, so it's coming up to 16 years in four days or something like that, I think it is. I think we moved okay. up on the 4th of April. So 16 years. Um,
0: I thought you moved up to the Gold Coast before me. I moved up to the Gold Coast in 2009. So did you not move to 2014? Yeah, I said 2004. Oh, nah, this is 2004. 2014. Yeah, I was like, what? <laughs> I'm so confused. I swear you were there before me. So you moved up in yeah, 2004. So, so you, you moved yep. up basically because of your dad's work? Or was it Pretty just much, a yep. lifestyle plan change?
1: Yeah, so he sold the pools and moved up for for the lifestyle change and also to, to coach the nippers at Northcliffe. Yep. Um, from there he's moved up and down, became the senior coach, became the junior coach, um, everything in between really. So at the moment he's the youth coach teaching mainly 15, 17s. And, um, that's probably where he's one of the best in the world, I believe. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's how I became involved in Ironman racing, surf lifesaving. And, um, the first year, I remember, it was the first year 17s when I moved up to Queensland and I uh, got knocked out in every single heat, so board, swim, iron. There was no ski back then for 17s. Yeah. And um, it was a bit of an eye-opener because in Adelaide, you're a big fish, small pond, and move up and you're a very small fish in a big pond. Um, but because we're up here and I was from Adelaide, I was out in the surf every day and, and just catching waves because I thought it was a lot of fun. And flash forward a year, a year later, I ended up winning um, under seventeen, Ford and Ironman the next year. So that's when I that was it, sort of, was that at state titles
0: or Aussies? Aussie state titles. titles
1: no, yeah. no, no medals at Aussies. Yeah. <laughs> Still no individual medals at Aussies. Yeah. So um, it was. Yeah, I think it was just the love of love of the ocean and just being involved as as much as poss- possible in every single session. And there was back in the day, like run sessions, three sessions a day. Um, yes, yeah, so I think it was just natural for me to because I love the sport just to continue to, to keep, I guess, yeah. training hard and the natural progression was actually getting results in races, which wasn't really the, the goal at the time. I think it was just quite natural and training under um, a lot of the best in the world. So we had Shannon next Zane Holmes, Pierce Leonard, Kay next you know, there was, there's yeah, a number of, of people coming. There for sure. Yeah. A number of people coming through the surf club, coming and going over those years. So um i think although sometimes you'd have like a an eighth in a shark net race it's probably almost making a final at yeah. aussies and you don't really realize that at the time because you're thinking oh i've just got to get better i've just got to get better and and catch yeah, these ra- people and before-
0: you're racing for ski relay spots
1: yeah exactly for a c team you know yeah. <laughs> so yeah
0: um
1: it's ridiculous i think i think we've both had years like that where we're in a b or c team and and um end up like top 10 in in australia and, and yeah well, we I got second
0: one year me yeah, gaily and ten. trent in i think no i think yeah. it could have been the c team even
1: no nah, we were the c team
0: oh yeah <laughs> oh, i beat you that year did i <laughs> that's yeah, awesome
1: yeah
0: um so yeah obviously you've been at north for 16 years now then yeah a long time hey? you're like a, you're a very very loyal guy and i think that's sort of shown in everything that you do um, so with, with North what sort of brings you to that club and what sort of makes you keep sort of staying there and competing for them and sort of really loving that environment there?
1: I guess to begin with, it was, it was the job opportunity for Dad. And um, I guess as well, like you said, I'm, I'm quite a loyal, loyal person and um, probably don't like change all that much. So as much as people have changed clubs in the past, I've... Um, found it quite easy just to, to stay put. And like I said, it it got me from getting knocked in heats in under 17 through to, um, winning a couple of world titles now. So it, if it's, if it's working, I guess it's working. So there's no need for me to, to look around or change because no, they, they allow me to do what I want. And, um, it's been, it's been good in that way.
0: Yeah. So you've come from like, I guess, a quite a, I guess, average sort of athlete coming from Grange surf club. You're sort of a, as you say, a a big fish in a small pond you've come up to the gold coast and then you've become a, a little fish in a big pond. How is that, how was that sort of transition for you? Like what sort of made you go from like, okay, I just want to like compete to have fun and see my mates and catch waves to wanting to win titles. Like now you've won, I think one or two double ski titles. You've won a few taplan titles at Aussies. Like these are sort of like the pinnacle events in surf life saving. Um, what was the change there? Um,
1: I don't, I don't know if there's been too much of a change mentally for me, and I think that's that's helped in the long run. So I, I still consider myself that whole small fish, big pond sort of thing. So um, I think moving forward, it's just, it's just become, like I said, natural for that progression to come. And I've had double ski third places with Joel Simpson back in the day. And then me and Macker have had a third and now I win. Uh, we've had wins in touch and that sort of thing so I think I think it's also who's who's alongside you obviously because again being at Northcliffe you've had just copious amounts of good yeah. paddlers whether it is that B team like we were talking about or C team I mean um most you of a product
0: like, you become like a product of your environment you're basically saying so like because you're around a lot of good athletes and you're training really hard to be sort of in their teams and race really well you sort of just gradually have moved your progression up and like the mental side of it hasn't really changed. You've gone from, like you've still got that small town mentality of just going out, having fun, racing hard. And I think you notice that from the smile on your face, at nearly every event you compete at, like there's not very much that flusters you. And now you're still, you've taken that into that approach where you are probably a big fish in a big pond now because you are Corey Hill, you've got many titles, you've, you've got that like those achievements behind you now, but in your mind, you're still that little boy from Grange who just wants to go out there and have fun.
1: That's the thing, the world's changed around us and um you know, I remember the first trip that we did to, to Hong Kong, Dubai and it was it was almost out of spite for not making the series ourselves and um it's yeah, the, the-, went
0: and- through the wave and skis <laughs> yeah. went in the air.
1: <laughs> exactly. So you know, we we put our both of us have put our feet into surf ski paddling and then sup paddling down the track and I guess away we went. We just um kept doing our best. But because we love what we're doing, it's quite easy. I mean on your days off you sort of find yourself just going to the beach and ocean and, and training. And as soon as you do a session, it's hard to do a session easy as well, just having that mentality. So again, I think it's just quite natural to a degree to just keep on progressing.
0: Yeah. Keep moving forward. So let's move forward as well. So basically it was about 2011 or 12, I think it was where we both sort of were leading the nutri trials in the ski race down at Chugan. And that little sort of shorey came through. Both our skis went in the air. We went from like first and second to, I don't know, 17th and 18th or whatever it was. Yeah. And we sort of made that decision or you more sort of more, sort of more made that, that decision that we go down and do an ocean ski race because you'd got a, an epic ski off Tony King at the time to do an adventure race a few, few weeks before that. Is that yeah. right? And then... Yeah. Exactly. Um, then our ocean ski race came up like two weeks later. We were both sort of feeling sorry for ourselves. And we're like, ah, we just can't believe we lost our opportunity. Like, but we sort of, when life gives you lemonade, you my life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. And we're like, Oh well, we'll just go do this ocean ski stuff. Like Jeremy Cotter and Bruce Taylor and all these sort of guys that were on the Gold Coast were doing it. And we went down to, to Sydney and did that race. And, and you did really well.
1: Yeah, it's funny looking back, I guess, because... it it just one thing leads to another again we we were unfortunate or i guess fortunate in some sense as well to to have missed out for me myself i look at it and i made maybe i think it was three series like neutral ironman series and um potentially if i made it that year i would have just kept on chasing that dream and and if i'm going to be honest with myself i was no i was no ironman like i was not good at swimming i was getting by and probably could have made a couple more series if i stayed dedicated to that sport but um I don't think I was a world beater, that's for sure. There's there's plenty of guys out there and coming through now that are that are and would have been better than me in the future. So um I guess we took that negative, made it a positive, went down to Sydney. Um, from memory, the adventure race that I did, i paddled next to Bruce Taylor the whole way, finished and then um had a look at had to look through the results and went, hang on, this guy's <laughs> you know. I, I pictured him always as the board paddler because I was my dad's son, who's a board paddler as well. And I know how good he was or is at board paddling. Um, so to paddle next to him on a ski, finish, have a look at, he had, had a couple of thirds and the second at the doctor, I went, ah, oh, this is, um, <laughs> this, there could be potential here. And, and as you know, we were doing lots of paddle backs with Shannon Eckstein, who, who won a race in Hong Kong. I think it was in 08 or 09. So um, again, coming in two minutes behind him in paddle backs at the time, I thought oh, he's, he's killing us. And then you have a look at the result sheet, and you go, "Hang on, dude, he's he's one of the best in the world. Let's let's go give this a go. If we're two minutes behind, we're still top ten. I think at that stage, we actually looked at Dubai and went, we are 'If we're if we're two minutes behind and we're top ten, and we come home with a grand for that race, I think it was, we were saying it's it's an investment. Why why not go for it? Let's let's do this.'
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think. It's quite funny because you're obviously and always not been an over, overachiever. Like you made sort of three series. I made none. But we were sort of still in the same position where I was probably not the best Ironman. Maybe I did a, a little, I had a few good results in the juniors. But when I, once I got the seniors, I never really um, made any plans. So I was actually like, it was great that you were sort of pushing us to do the surf ski races at the time. So we, I went down to, I think it was North Kirk, we're talking about in the Australian Ocean Racing Series or the, the Sydney Series. I'm not yeah. sure what it was called at the time. And I got like 27th. I couldn't reach the pedals. Was, the it was, hump was like, I I even, it was a fan uh, cup. yeah, a fan cup. There you go. And <laughs> the, I couldn't reach the pedals. And you over you got like third or fourth or something like that. And I was like five minutes behind. And I remember you coming to me, speaking of Dubai, um, I remember sitting down at home, just like, oh, what am I going to do this year? Like, I can't be, I'm trying to be an Ironman. I can't do it. So I'm just probably not good enough. And that big mistake that I, we sort of made in that trial sort of really threw us through a spanner in the works. And as you say, it became the best thing that probably ever happened to, or to me definitely. And obviously to you as well. And with the Dubai thing coming up, I remember you calling me up and going, Hey Michael, um, I'm going to go to Dubai and uh, Hong Kong. Do you want to come? And I was like, straight away, I was like, no way. And then because I, was like, I can't afford five grand or whatever it was. And I hung up the phone. I remember calling, calling dad and just being like, so I want, I need five grand. If you loan like it to me. And he was like, <laughs> He's like, "What's it for?" And I was like, "It's for sport. I want to go do this race overseas." And he was like, "Yeah, no, no worries. Like that, you can definitely do that. Just just pay me back." And I don't think I ever actually paid him back, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah, just a massive opportunity. So I got to thank you for doing like sort of pushing me to do that because it sort of changed my life. And um, so what what was sort of like your thought process there? Like, did you see an opportunity? Obviously, you're talking about um, Bruce Taylor. And Shannon Eckstein, like going to the North Paddlebacks and it was always a race. So you always know like where you stood in the in the mix. And was it was it sort of like something you always thought you'd be good at straight away?
1: I think it was just the opportunity was there, right? Like we missed out on the trial. I think I was in it two years prior and then made it the year after that year as well. And that's when I had this funny foot infection. Didn't really race that year either. So that was, that just put me out of the sport essentially of, of Ironman racing. I think that must have been my last. I in race ever so. Um, I think the thought process to me was oh, let's keep busy. You're still you're still training. I was still doing the cool and got a gold at that stage, and um, we went down. I think I had a from memory a ninth down in Sydney, and I was on a on a pretty he- heavy epic. So then when I the next weekend there was a race up at the Sunny Coast or Burley There was two more race after race, and I had a fourth and a fifth and look back through the results of the year before and the year before and just got sort of addicted to looking at, Hey, where, where would I be? If this is a domestic race, where do I sit internationally based off of this? And I know it's silly to look at prior races and go, this is where I fit in. But at that stage, that was sort of, I guess the motivation that I needed to, to push myself forward to an international level and go, okay, well, assuming I can get top 10 over here or assuming I can get top 10 over there, it is an investment into the future. Let's go try something different. And, um, see what comes of it and um went to hong kong and i think i had a seventh went to dubai and had a fifth in the dead flat which really surprised me but from there i've never never really looked back it was two of the hardest races i think i've ever done and um yeah again it's just propelled you into this i guess into the future that i do have of of, um ocean racing
0: i remember the the dubai Schmal that year it was very hot it was like you were paddling in a vortex like i think TJ had a, a GoPro for off his ski and like it was dragging and then they couldn't paddle. And then I remember it was so hot and we both finished the race and that like, you sort of went down first from like dehydration and um, not, not being able to handle it. Like, you were like, I remember we was sitting there at the party afterwards or oh, not even the party. I think it was just like after the race and you're like, man, I need to go home. Like, can you get my award? I need to like go lay. And we actually got upgraded that that year as well. And we had this massive like palace apartment cause it was like an empty sort of uh, that Dubai bit. I'm not sure what it was called. And, I remember you just like laying there all by yourself, just all like wounded ball. essentially <laughs> in a ball. And then I can sort of arrive like three hours later, like in exactly the same state. Um, what, I, what I'm asking is like when you're racing and when you're pushing yourself, like can you, I remember you used to be like a camel, you used to never take water, never take like hydration. Has that changed? And um, do you still sort of push yourself that hard?
1: I'd like to think so. I'd like to think I'm smarter as I'm getting older, but um, I guess we'll talk about that later too with some mistakes that we've, that we've made in the past. But, um, you know, like to begin with, I rocked up to Hong Kong. we rocked up to Dubai and I didn't even have a drink bottle, no camelback, nothing like that because I just thought, oh, you know, it's a two hour race. What What's the worst that could, what's the worst that could happen? And, um, as I found out, I was <laughs> in a ball after the race and lucky to we got through the two hours fine, but we're racing in like something like 35 to 40 degree Dubai, dead flat two hours. Yeah. Um, I've learned now that's that's the obvious result of, of doing something like that. So um there is definitely races that I won't take water and just cop the punishment after. But um I've yeah. definitely learnt to really hydrate beforehand, keep keep the nutrition up. Back then I was just immature. I think I think I just um was doing it because I loved it and the pain came naturally because of all the sessions that we were just talking about before it was quite natural as well to just push yourself to the to the limit and really yeah really hurt yourself every session and and it goes back to the sessions that we did as well where, you know, you'd start off with a with a 10-minute easy or something like that and by the ninth or 10th minute, we're already at race pace and, you know, we didn't really like get, letting one get over the other and, um, yeah, you, you'd end up real, really hurting after sessions as well if you're doing an hour and a half on the water because, you know, we just didn't take water and that sort of thing. So um, as I've grown up and flash forward 10 years, I definitely – Race a lot more with water. I've got the system that I like, and everything's sort of set up how I like. And I've learnt that through many mistakes. I mean, I think it was the fourth time I went back to to do the Hong Kong race, and I still hadn't got the drink system that I liked. And remember putting this fluid bag on the back of my ski, and at the start of the race, I couldn't even reach it. Like it was just sitting there, and I was like, "Oh, what am I going to do now?" You know. So I was like leaning back to try and try (laughs) and. (laughs) You know, and that's four years in. So, yeah. Um, flash forward now, I'd, I'd like to think that I've, um, that I've got it down pat. But, um, yeah, you still make these mistakes and I'm sure everyone does.
0: So, when you say that you don't make mistakes, I remember talking to you. I stayed with you in France um, before the World Championships this year. <laughs> and of the morning of the race, Corey Hill does not have any electrolytes or um, carb mix to go in his drink bottle. So I, I, I actually end up helping you with that because I was staying with you at the time, but so you're still making those little mistakes as well. Like, cause there's obviously still a little bit of improvement there. Like obviously you've got your, I think you use the Fenn drink bottle with the cord and like you sort of have, yep. you, have a, you have a string around your neck or you just put it on your legs?
1: Just in the lap. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you've got that. So you're still sort of, I guess obviously a lot's going on with um, like obviously having a kid and like being a bit more, <laughs> bit less organized, but uh, it's good to see that sort of even though you're arguably the best search paddler in the world, you're still making those little mistakes. And I think the people out there listening would like really like to know that because I'm sure that they're making those little mistakes still as well. And um, it's really cool to hear it from someone like you.
1: Yeah, I guess um, it's all relative, right? Like you, you rock up to a session in shorts and you got your paddle, you got your Garmin, away you go. You're happy because you've got your necessities and then all of a sudden you rock up to a, a race and it's like all right it's 20k do i need a drink do i need electrolytes i think even that day i'm not too sure i think i had a skull before the race and then just put the water to the side i just didn't bring water because i knew it was 24 kilometers 23 kilometers or something like that in in france so i had a big skull before the race and just went like i was saying before i'm just going to cop the punishment after because i know i've got an hour and a half in me um from there i'll just cop the punishment but um it's hard. Like I rock up to, to Molokai for instance, and you've got, you don't need a life jacket, but you've got all your gear that you do need. You've got to make sure that you've got your passport. You've got to make sure it sounds stupid. Yeah. I should almost make a list, but you know, you rock up sometimes. And like, have I charged my, have I charged my garment enough? Have I got my, like, Is my, got my spare paddle just in case something happens. Have I got my life jacket, my leg leash? Some places make you race with a flare like, like the doctor. So you go through this list and um, I stress out more about that than I do about how I feel. To be honest, I rock up and um, <laughs> it's, that's the hardest thing for me is just making sure that you're ticking all those boxes because I know that everything I've done for the last six months is being a okay. It's just now ticking, ticking the boxes and making sure we've got the required um, things on your boat.
0: <laughs> yeah. So just trying to make yourself make sure you're in the best position. Cause I know you had that theory, um, really early on i sort of adopted it as well that we try and train with the most minimal amount of stuff like and or we train with like different paddles and different crafts and different setups and all that sort of stuff so when you get to a race and there's something that goes wrong you actually it doesn't really matter to you because you're like oh well like if i don't have it i can still race well and i think that's sort of like the theory you still take into somewhere like france you're like i don't really need the water because i don't want to think about it so i'm just going to go and paddle anyway but you know you can do really well
1: Exactly, and I think that that comes back to just knowing knowing your own body and knowing what you're capable of. So, like you touched on, we back in the day used to go from like two twelve to two fifteen, somewhere in between, between sixty to sixty five degree um, feather, that sort of thing as well. Or obviously, always racing it. For me, it's like two thirteen and about sixty five. But um, just knowing that those little variances doesn't actually make the biggest difference that a lot of people probably think they do. Like the the main thing is getting to training and and doing it well and having equipment that you do, that you do love. Like I've had, um, had races where you put a bit too much leg drive on and and a pin pops out. And, um, the next kilometer was my fastest kilometer. And you just go, well, does that mean I've got a longer leg? I don't know, but (laughs) yeah, all of a sudden I'm less worried about that in the race because I've trained with, you know, a little bit longer, a little bit shorter. Um, all these sorts of variances. And, um, on the day, you just know that everything that you've done is enough to get you through the race. And, um, yeah, like I said, the, the equipment that we've, that we've got with you're happy with it. So, um, yep. there's barely ever any, anything that does go wrong, but you've just got to make sure that you're on the rare circumstance that something does go wrong, that you are prepared and you just back yourself that you're you're ready to go yourself.
0: Yeah. And I think that, and I think that's a really, really important thing for people listening out there is making sure that you're just, you get on the start line and you're just comfortable with what you've got. Like, don't ever think about, oh, I haven't got this. I haven't got that. I can't do well. It's just like, this is what I've got. I'm going to do the best I can do with what, with what I've started with. Um, so I think that's a really, really important point. I think we should really melt, drill, drill that home. Um, but when you're speaking a lot, you're speaking a lot about your Garmin, about your lap times. I know you really focus on this. Like you're an accountant by train, so you by trade, so you love your numbers. How important is the Garmin and your training tools? Cause I think you only use your Garmin or do you use heart rate monitors as well?
1: No, just the Garmin. Yeah. So I guess when you're doing a session, a lot of the time, like even if we're, for instance, on the river, the tide might be flowing one way or the other. And, um, you've just got to really keep that consistency going. So another thing I've focused on for the last 10 years is just consistency and making sure that, you know, if you're doing a six kilometre lap, that the kilometres heading with the flow are very similar each time you go past that, that section. And, um, likewise against the tide. So, um, we'll do 30 kilometre paddlebacks from Kingscliff back to, back to Northcliff, not at the moment with the border restrictions, but, um, we were that's doing that true. just not that long ago. <laughs> yeah. Not that long ago. We were doing paddlebacks like that and just trying to really, you know, keep each 10 kilometer, um, section as consistent as you can. And, and obviously there's going to be some sort of variance. As you know, with Kingscliff, you've got Cook Island through to Snapper. That's sort of one section. Then the next section really opens up from Snapper through to Burley. And that's always really quick from Burley back to Northcliff. So, yeah. um, Quite often you'll negative split that, but you have to just go. Okay, well, just make sure that you know your 21st kilometer is pretty even to your 30th, and your first is equal to your 10th, and just really making sure that your consistency is there. And I follow my Garmin pretty consistently uh, pretty constantly, and that's the only thing that keeps my mind going. Is like, okay, well, we're gonna try and hit 330s for the next 10k, and then all of a sudden the 315 might pop up, and you go, well, that's the new. The new average, I think it was yeah. the doctor last year. I hit the centaur marker in the lead, had a quick sneaky look, went, all right, I've got 100, 200 meters if I hold three fifteens from here because it was absolutely pumping. I said to myself, you've got it in the bag if you can do that. So yeah. the next kilometer was at 310. I just went, okay, I've got another five seconds on them. 312, 312. And then from there, I've just gone, okay, well, you know, it's going to be hard for them to catch me from here. But I'm using yeah. that as, as a, I guess, trigger to see how my performance is going.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I know you focus really, really heavily on your kilometer time. So I guess mentally, like so say like you're going so say you say say you said like yeah, do a three tenth, then you all of a sudden you go a three twenty. What what goes through your mind there? Like do you try and really pick it up that next kilometer? Do you chase an extra one over the top, or do you feel like you're getting tired? Like what is your thought process there?
1: I guess you you know your own body, so if you do a, if you're doing 10 seconds slower all of all of a sudden, and I guess the majority of the time that's happening in the flat. So if you if you're doing the say four minutes pace, and then all of a sudden you start punching out four tens or four twenties, you go, okay, am I am I starting to fail here, or is it something condition wise? Are we are we starting to go against the tide? Do I need to look at moving in? Do I need to move, look at moving out to see, or is everyone that has been around me um, also comparable still. So if you've got Sean Rice who's like a, a demon in the flat and he's plowing on ahead of you and then you get to that section and he keeps on plowing on ahead of you, you just go, Well, I'm just not as good as him today. See you later, Sean. Yeah. We're all done. And, um <laughs> you've got other days where in the in the chop you might pull away from, you know, yourself or whatnot, and then you pull back up on me. And those days you have to go, well that those ten seconds that I just lost, I can actually make up on that. It's not so much it's not so much my Performance. It's sorry, it's yep. not so much my fatigue level, it's, it's more my performance and maybe switching off or yep. really got to concentrate.
0: So, how do you stay focused in the runs? Like, it's, it's obviously a massive part of our sport. Like, we bet, like, most of the races are in either an island crossing, a point to point race. Like, there's very rare where we go out and back or we go in the flat water. So, when you're looking at your times on your Garmin, how is that sort of motivating you? Because obviously if you say you like someone's put up to you 10 seconds and you're like, okay, I'm going to make that 10 seconds back. What other stimulus are you using to like motivate yourself when you're coming down to that crunch point of races?
1: Um, at the moment i focus on just think anything that will sort of really enthuse me, I guess. So I start to, I start to look back on like, okay, let's try and make my family proud. Let's try and I've got a son now and in the future I just want to make him look at some of these races and go oh that's that's awesome how you know you got you got that title or you're you, you were on the podium for five years running or whatever it might be so um I try and even if he doesn't care <laughs> it's just something that yeah it's just something that I dig into and go okay this he will eventually be...
0: Corey he will eventually understand
1: <laughs> yeah so I, I look into it at the moment just like that I, I start to go "What am, what am I actually doing this for do I you know, the next 20 minutes of pain, is it—is it worth it? Yes. I mean, I've flown yeah. from Brisbane to, you know, America. Um, I've, I've taken a wait, week away from from Coda and Lani. Um, yes, it is worth hurting for the next 20 minutes. Or yes, it is worth taking that risk or whatever it is. So um, that's what I start to sort of dig deep on now. Um, but in the past, it was probably just result-driven and, and probably a little bit of cockiness, to be honest. It was yeah. just you know, we had, we had so many battles where every race was 10, 20 seconds either way. And we even had a little trophy for a little while that we shared between us.
0: And then you got, and (laughs) And then you got too good and I couldn't, I couldn't win the trophy anymore. So I think it just went to you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So Um, it's just little little things like that, I guess it's just digging deep and, and for the other punters out there, I'm sure that they've got their own mates that they train with they race with that they want to beat. And, um, It might not necessarily be to the level up the top but it could be you know 100th to 150th or down to 400th with the doctor i mean there's so many entrance entries nowadays and you can set your goal pretty easily amongst um position wise really
0: and it's yeah as you're talking about it's a race within a race like we all have our training partners in our training groups Well, we can't we don't actually at the moment unfortunately because of everything that's going on but we do have those people we want to beat and like people we target. And like, I remember when I first started surf like I think it was like Paul green was like my nemesis. I remember doing the sunshine coast race and I was trying to beat him. And then it was like, I beat him and I was trying to beat like some like Ando, then Jeremy Cotter, then Bruce Taylor. And it was just like trying to mark off those names. I actually never beat Tim Jacobs. It just sort of still annoys me to this day, but <laughs> those sort of races within the race are so important because you're sort of setting your goals based around the people around you or your best times or your best averages. So, that's that's. I think that's really really cool. You've spoken about that. Um, obviously, your family is really really important to you. I remember speaking to you and Lani um, in France last year, and you were sort of at this sort of like crossroads mentally, um, with sort of like you really wanted to win a race when Coda after Coda was born, and you hadn't done that. How did you yeah. sort of? Uh, I know we had a really long chat about, it and sort of hopefully that conversation sort of helped you a little bit, but. What really pushed you to sort of be able to come to the doctor and dominate in Perth, win Hong Kong, like, and win 20 beaches? Like, you were sort of a real standout at the end of the year. Whereas at the start of the year, you didn't have – well, you had fantastic results, but to some of your standard, a second and a third isn't as good as a first. So what, what changed in that sort of after September?
1: Um, it's interesting looking back at it now as well because the results we're talking about are – a second at Molokai, which was 20, 30 seconds behind Hank. Yeah. A third at Worlds, a third at Mauritius, a third at the Gorge. And then it hits November. So I think I was being quite harsh on myself too, because I really wanted this win because the races prior to, I guess, December the year before, was a win at the doctor, a win at 20 beaches, a win at Hong Kong. So I think I set my standards pretty high there with, okay, well, I'm just going to continue to keep winning, which in real terms, it's, um, you know, you're setting yourself up for failure, really. I mean, there's, there's so many good paddlers out there. There's, there's so many variances that can happen. Um, like I said, I was 30 seconds off winning the first race after being a dad. Um, it just so happens to one of the best paddlers to ever grace this earth had to be there as well. And, um, and and get the better of me and, now, and on the day he was he was the better paddler and then I rock up to to Europe. Sean was the better paddler. Kenny was the better paddler. Kenny won his third gorge. Um all these races I'm looking back at now and I'm not too unhappy with them to be honest. I sort of look at it and go, Yeah, I definitely wanna wanted to have won it, keep my keep my world title. But um again, I think looking at the year before, I haven't won the gorge. I haven't won anything in September. I've never won Anything in July. The only one that I have won prior is um, Molokai, and Hank and myself have had massive battles over the last couple of years with Sean winning in there as well. So um, I think I was just sort of looking into it a bit too much, to be honest, because then come yeah. the back end of the year where I, I usually perform to the best of my ability. Um, and I think that's just after winter, you start to train that bit harder naturally, it's easier um it's hotter you get the wind you get the southerlies in the afternoon that come through consistently and um it's you just end up so much more enthusiastic about about training and about the events coming up and for me Molokai doctor uh 20 beaches all these all these races are um really the biggest part of my season as well so I don't think I'm ever going to rock up to to the doctor and put myself out of that race. I think I've always just got to rock up to races like that and um, think that I can win because of the history that I have at those races. So I don't necessarily think it was um, I think I was just being harsh on myself. And, and then the reality came of, of winning one race and going, that's right. It's, it's just, you know, it was my time again.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So how hard is that? I know a lot of like elite guys who sort of get to the top of the podium I know for myself personally, like sometimes I remember like last year, I'd won five or six races in a row. And when you get to a race, the only position that you can't get is the one that you've always been getting. So you, you've constantly been getting say first places and then you get a second or a third and you've got, you know, when you start a race, all you can do is lose. You can't win because you've already won. Yeah. So, and you're only as good as your last race. It's like, I like to say, so how hard is that mentally to sort of turn up the start line and go, okay, well, I am meant to win this. I, I I do expect myself to win this. And when someone comes out and blazes like the race, like Hank or Sean or Kenny, as you're talking about, how do you how do you deal with that mentally?
1: Um, again, I just I just look at it like I'm lucky to be there. To be honest, it was there's plenty of people out there that that potentially didn't take the risk that we did to begin with, and and you know I'm sure off the top of our heads we could. We could think of a heap of people that, that we did train with or have trained with in the past and just thought, why don't you come and do a race and put yourself forward and especially in Australia and I'm sure in South Africa, you know, you, you see the results from South Africa and you just go, where are these guys on the on the world stage? And they just don't take that that risk, I guess. So yeah. look at it like I'm lucky to have been in the position that I am to have the sponsors that I do have to, to back me to go to these races. And um. And challenge myself achieve achieve the goals that i want and support me and follow the same same um path as as i i guess desire so it's, yeah
0: if so you're hoping to I'm inspire very, others
1: yeah i'm very lucky to be in the position that i am yeah i've worked yeah. hard for it but at the same time i'm i'm extremely lucky so to come away with these thirds and seconds uh, i i just get home go well that wasn't what i went for um not displeased with it but at the same time how do I get better how do I um eat that bit healthier how do I train that bit harder how do I get that bit better in the flat how do I you know grind it out is it the distance is it all these other variables that come into it how do I do I have to go and do headwind paddles or something like that yeah you know like just let's get through this and um be the best that I can be but then as soon as the wind does come like Hong Kong doctor 20 beaches have for the last couple of years, Um, you yeah. know, and it's summer at the back end of the season. That's where I, I do love to perform.
0: Yeah. So, and th- that's where I was sort of going with it. Like losing is a really big motivator, isn't it? Like it's sort of, as you've spoken about, you've got, you want, like you come home for a race and you haven't won, or you haven't done what you thought you were going to do. And you come home, you're like, I've got to do flat water paddles. I've got to do headwind paddles. I've got to do this. Like it gets you out of bed, doesn't it? Like it really sort of motivates you. And I think that's something that's really special about sport because you're all trying to do that like you're trying to do it like and then all the guys you're racing against are doing exactly the same thing so if you win like they go home like okay I've like got me in this section like how do I beat him i think that's really really cool to hear
1: yeah it's amazing though it comes back to like we were saying before just club level like we were fighting yeah. back in the day for, for to make the C team so it's, yeah it's funny how all of a sudden it goes from you know being a junior making the teams that, sorry, not making the teams that you thought that you that you could achieve, and then, like before, we were saying you made the B team, had a second. But I was in the C team, and um, we weren't we weren't mentioned that year. So that was the battle between not not directly yourself and myself, but we've definitely had those battles in the past as well. With yeah, you know, you went across and won South Africa, and um, from That's there, I know
0: the only Aussie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but
1: from there you know we come back home and start training and all i'm thinking is well Boothie can win on the world stage and i've had yeah. a couple of wins on stage we've got the best training squad in the world so yeah. but right here we're, we're, we're essentially training to be the best in the world and how do i become the best in the world i've got to beat this guy and you're thinking much yeah. the same i'm sure for me so these little battles come in day by day
0: yeah. I think it's really like, I remember the a paddle back we did. I, I don't know if it was before Molokai. It was a 30 K paddle from snapper to, um, South exactly and <laughs> you get away. And then I just like, be like, ah, I'm get back up to you. And then I get away a little bit and then you catch up to me. And then I think eventually you ended up winning, but it was, um yeah, you just kept pushing and pushing because the other guy was there or you were there and I was trying to catch you. And um, that was so important to my like, training and my psyche, like knowing that no matter what point of the race that you're in, like, you never give up. You never know what's going to happen next. You never know, like, they could have a good section and then you're going to have the next good section and then that one-minute gap can turn into, like, your 30-second advantage. Like, it's it's that important to just keep keep trying your best the whole way through your races.
1: Yeah, I think at that stage we were probably each other's biggest asset because we were both just rocking up and, and training hard and doing our best and probably didn't love being beaten by the other guy. So yeah. all of a sudden, we, you know all of a sudden, if I took you out of the equation, where would I, where would I be post that date? Uh, I'm not too, I'm not too, not too sure. And um, yeah, it's, it's just funny to, to look back at all those paddlebacks We did getting ready for Molokai's and you know, the stupid. The and that sort of
0: thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, that was just, that was such a good time. And I think that really set me up for what I'm able to do now. I think, cause you've been put in like so many of those situations. Um, but moving on from that I think what you spoke about too a little bit before it was talking about like there's a lot of guys there who could have done like these other sports that we've sort of stepped into like surf ski or um, SAP or whatever else there is out there what do you think was holding them back like I know there was a lot of um, it's like quite hard to move out of that sort of sport when we were first starting um, mm-hmm. I know for we've spoken about this before like it was hard to get actually get respected for what we did and obviously now you're very well respected by everybody who's paddled. But I remember having conversations with you that it was like, ocean ski wasn't seen to be a a very um, big or important sport. Like how, how do you think that's changed now with um, like having sponsorships going on great trips and winning major titles on international stages?
1: It's interesting. I guess it's a a difficult question because I I think I've had this respect for, for distance paddlers and, and a lot of my heroes have been distance paddlers as soon as, you know, we stepped foot on that plane to to head across and we stayed with Jeremy and Ando and, um, you know, you see, you see the mock brothers battling it out and you've got Tim Jacobs who was just, you know, undefeated in Australia. And, you know, we had Ben Allen and all these sorts of people. And um, a lot of them were our, our senior. So they were five to 10 years older than us. And I think the experiences that I had on those trips were just, so much fun that you know that that respect just naturally comes because it's not just about not just about the race it was about everything everything else as well so stepping back into into um Ironman racing for me um it was just something that I had done forever so it was also hard for me to 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 remove myself from that and not go to the next Kellogg's Inter-Grand Ironman trial you know like we just touched on before I think I made 2 we missed 1 and then the following year I made the series again Yeah. Um, through Aussies. So I didn't actually go to the trial, but I did make it through Aussies because I was the next unqualified Ironman to make it. So um, it was, it was hard for me to sort of leave it because there was always something enticing there. And, and I think walking around the beach, being in Kellogg's and coming from Adelaide, it was, it was sort of a surreal feeling. So yeah, um, branching out getting into this sport and, and experiencing what i have experienced now um i think they've both complemented each other like i've, yeah. I've learned how to race back in i men racing and then topped up on that in the in the surf ski world so um it's interesting as well because it's obviously a complete different product i mean i racing i think it's the whole the whole nippers and that sort of thing that that has a has a massive following and then in surfski, you've, you've probably got the other end of the scale where you've got people who live on the water and go for paddles and all of a sudden you've got your, your 30, 40, 50, 60-year-olds who who follow the sport more so. I mean, if I walked down the club today at Northcliffe, there'd be not too many nippers that have seen the craft that we paddle. So, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting, but I think they do complement each other and at some stage they always merge together as we've seen a lot of iron men come across and do a couple of races and um, and you've also seen a lot of surf ski people under the clubby cap over the years
0: yeah I think it's pretty cool to see um, how the demographic has sort of changed in surfski like I know when we started it was it was the older crowd like it was like sort of mm-hmm. no it was no one under 30 really doing surfski now you've got like the investec young guns team you've got all these juniors yeah. coming through racing it like world titles and like, like 15, 16-year-olds are picking up a ski for the first time and actually going to races. And I think that's pretty incredible how how much this sport has changed in that respect. And just in the 10 years or eight years that we've done it, it's, it's amazing to see how, how it's sort of transpired and how it's moved along. And hopefully more and more people will come along at a younger age and start racing.
1: Yeah, I think that's just natural, isn't it? I mean, the sport has gotten bigger and... I feel like it's it's only going to grow again, so the, it's natural for the younger guys to see the older guys succeed and probably follow in our footsteps that we did when we were twenty, and um and start to travel with us. Or you'll probably get a couple of people that you start to travel with as as grommies, and you know, take them yeah. through the same sort of um, initiatives that we had to.
0: And then I guess for another thing, like racing. Like I know that you always raced with the like with the rules in check, like the utmost respect. Like how important is to is it to win a race um respectfully and by the rules? Like you never I've never seen you like um I don't know, miss a can or miss uh a race when you're always really happy when you finish. Like how important is that for the sport of Sersky to win with, with the respect of your competitors?
1: Um Yeah, look, I, I guess for me personally, and that's why I- a lot of the time, I get up in the morning and and um, try and win a Molokai, or try and win a doctor, is is to sort of get the runs on the board and 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 retire when I'm older and be quite happy with what I have achieved. So um, on that, if I if I had something that I took unfairly, I I wouldn't be able to sort of <laughs> claim pride it yourself a, on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's not necessarily saying you know if I was in. 18th or something like that in a surf ski race and everyone else slewed, I'd still take that a hundred percent. It's, it's more if you, if you did it unfairly, I just, I just wouldn't be able to, um, I guess, sleep at night properly knowing that that one's an asterisk. And I think every time that I said, Oh, but (laughs) you know, this happened or something like that. So um, yeah, respect's a massive thing, isn't it? I mean, you've always got to, you'd want to be known in that conversation from your peers as, he was true and fair and still one of the best.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's one of the most important things that I sort of try and get out there is like, it's all about racing with respect and racing um, to your best of your ability within the rules against the, against the best. Cause that's, that's really what you want to achieve. Like intrinsically, when you are looking back at your results, you really do want to think I did that because I was the best guy on the day. And there was, I didn't take any advantage from anybody else. So that answer really important, but let's, let's move on from this. Um, I guess Molokai is such a big, sport a big event in our sport you've won two now um you've also had another opportunity to win there as well um i'd like to start with your wins um how important was say your first win i think it was in 2016 yeah 15 2015 yeah so like obviously training for that race looking at like guys like hank mcgregor clint robinson and then you got the guys who've won the most dean gardner oscar Cholopsky. Um, you've, you've joined that club in back in 2016. How much of a step forward was that for you? And how, how did you feel after winning that event for the first time?
1: It was, um, it was bizarre, you know, it was again, off the back of, I think a third at the doctor potentially in 2014. And then after that, you don't really see anyone internationally up until, up until Molokai. So, um, You and me went back, back to the drawing boards, went back through, you know, what do we, what do we think we have to do to, to achieve, to achieve that, that win or to do the best that we can at Molokai and, um, trained real hard throughout that January through to May period. And, um, it was such a weird race for me because i you know, I didn't really know my escort driver at that stage and I was just paddling, going along, doing my own thing and, I don't do drops or anything like that. I just have four Mars bars and gels up my shorts, got my drink bottle, the gun goes, and that's the last I see anyone really for the rest of the race. And two hours in, I knew I was thereabouts, and I thought, oh, this would be cool. Hopefully I can keep, um, keep on the podium here. And um, it was actually my first international race for Fenn as well. So two hours in, still right in this, and then about two and a half hours or probably 35Ks in, I reckon, Dean Gardner just pulls up next to me on his escort boat with his ski on his lap, just sitting there. He's like, go Corey, you're winning. And I was like, all right, <laughs> I thought I was in this, but I didn't know I was winning. He's like, Hank and Clint are way out to the, to the South. They can't like, they don't, they don't know you're here and you're about 150 in front. And I was like, that's okay, cool. That's good. I'm yeah. Um, about five minutes later, I just start smelling, um, marijuana (laughs) coming over my shoulder and I thought what's this and the only boat that was there was um the escort boat so I'm just thinking am I am I dreaming like what's going on here I don't know what's going on so I'm I'm winning Molokai first ever race and probably shouldn't be my first international win because it's Molokai it's got so much prestige and whatnot yeah and then you know Dean's being off and gone somewhere and come back and he's like mate you're, you're a minute ahead you've got 250 meters on just you know, put your put your head down and, and get going, and um, you should be able to take this out. So, come around um, China Walls, just absolutely put the pedal down. Um, and I think I was only about a minute or two off the off Dean's record. So he was saying that he was obviously hoping that I was going to take it out, but hoping yeah. that I was also backing it up a little bit and not not getting that record. So go
0: slow, but go uh, faster. You win, but yeah.
1: don't win. <laughs> just just win. Just win. Yeah, just win. So um, yeah, it was it was really weird because, you know, obviously then I think you crossed in about fifth. Yeah, and um, we had you know we had a lot to we had a lot to celebrate, knowing that you're two two years younger than me, and that's that's obviously the the direction that you're going to take as well with a bit more a bit more growth and um, you know, hate to say it, but maturity.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely, we all matured. That's for sure. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that was a pretty special moment. I remember like seeing you at the finish line. You'd won. I think it was probably the biggest win of your career at that point. And yeah, we had a really special moment. And I think that was like, it's sort of, as you're talking about, like the years of training that we'd done together had led to that point. And like, it wasn't mm-hmm. me, but it was you. And it was still like, it felt like it was my victory as well. So that was something really special to share. And I think I, I think I will still, um, we traveled over on a shoestring. I think um, dad might've <laughs> been there. We were sleeping in the same bed. Like it was and then at this end it was like pretty cool to sort of like we just all our time effort and energy went into that sort of the win so it was really cool to sort of be able to share that that experience in that moment with you
1: that was that was the whole saga where the boats weren't even there until it was a saturday race and the boats weren't even there until the friday night (laughs) yeah
0: yeah god yeah (laughs) no that was yeah the night before the race um (laughs) that year that you won we had to go out to the port and we're cutting up frames and pulling the boats off and tying them on trailers and And that was like 6 p.m. And then Dean had to go down and put them on escort boats to go over to the the start line. So, yeah, geez, that was a tough year. Sorry.
1: Jump in bed bed together and wake up at 4 a.m. to... Yeah,
0: get on the flight. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, good times. It's a a race with so many stories. And I'm sure there's so many stories out there that are exactly the same as that from like, as you say, like the races within the the race, like the, the experiences that people have, like there's so many stories like that because everything just has to fall into place for you to have a win at that sort of event. So it's pretty special. And then I think the same year you won your first world title.
1: Yeah. Again, sleeping in the same bed as you, mate.
0: Yeah, mate. I was like, you're never going to win again if we don't sleep together.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, that was, um, that was odd, right? So finished Molokai, went across and did Mauritius and then went to Hawaii to do board Molokai. And, just got oh, yeah. got as they say, kissed on the kissed on the Willie with um getting getting appendicitis because Yeah.
0: And you had insurance. Truth be truth be
1: told, I don't reckon yeah. Truth be told, I don't reckon I would have made that race. It was dead flat and um people started to talk that, you know, oh Corey might win ski and board and I was thinking, these guys don't know how much I haven't done, you know, like yeah. <laughs> I haven't done much on a board at all. And um you know, there was quite a good lineup that year as well. I reckon I would have got beaten by you know everyone so it was it was quite lucky to to rock up and um, get my appendix out recover just in time for worlds and um I think the best thing there as well was worlds was just around the corner. I believe it was October in Tahiti yeah so as soon as I recovered from appendix like the appendix being taken out, I was on a six week um, mad get fit get fit scheme and um, I think that actually helped. I knew that I had the the distance in me because I had done Molokai that year and worlds that year was 32 Ks. Um, and it was two hours on the dot. So it was just interesting because I think we had all the wind as soon as I was able to paddle again. And away we go. It was was just six weeks of really hard training rock up. The wind was up and I thought, well, you know, it's, it's still there. There's still an opportunity to to have a win, to take out a world championship. And it's also funny because you win Molokai and you say, Oh, it's a world championship. And people say, No, 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 I oh, a so yes, world championship. So then you, you go across and try and win that, win that and then people say, Oh, but you're not a paddler until you've won the doctor. So Yeah. You go across to the doctor, try another win there and then still got South Africans saying, Oh, but you have to win Mauritius. So it's um it's
0: Yeah, <laughs> you have to win K point <laughs> Challenge, or you have to win all these different yeah, events. Exactly. So I think, yeah, I think there's always that extra carrot. You're always trying to chase that next event. And I think as long as you've got that inside of you that you want to win and you want to chase that, I think you're going to keep doing sport, aren't you?
1: Yeah, exactly. To any degree, right? Like it's no matter what the, what the scenario, you're always going to chase a goal and there's always going to be something to chase. And, and in the future, I've got no doubt that that will be you know, the over 40s, the over 50s. And then, you know, one day we might be racing each other again in the over 60s when you can't stand up anymore.
0: Uh, look, I hope so. I want to keep paddling. So I, I don't want to be one of those guys. I remember talking to Jeremy Collar about this and was, he was saying, I just want to be that old guy who's just fit and just wants to paddle like the whole of my life. He goes, I'm never going to stop. And I really hope that's me as well. Um, but going, so you've, you've had a fantastic year. You've, you've won the the Doctor, you've won Molokai and you've won the world title. So you've had your best year you just really stepped it up now you go into the next year and you do molokai again what, what happens
1: interesting so it was a little bit slower from memory and we were tracking to probably finish at about three hours 40 and um i actually felt more confident than the year before i think again we had done probably 10 percent more work again than we had the year before and then I, all of a sudden I had this belief in me that, you know, why, why can't I just win everything? So I took it by the horns, went, um, went really hard from the start. And long story short, as we were heading around um, China Wall there, I just thought to myself, if I, if I hold this run as far as I can, I've got this in the bag. And sure enough, and I think at that stage, Dean was yelling out, you know, you've got, you've got time. You've got time. And I thought, yep, I know, but I'm really sore. I just want this to be over with. And um, yeah. tried to tack onto this thing as far as possible, as far as possible. And um, the wave just kept on wrapping around the corner. And before I knew it, and I think it's just that stage of the race where you are not thinking straight, being out hilarious. there for Yeah, three hours, three hours, thirty, three hours, 40. Um, all of a sudden, I'm just seeing this like rock boil just boil up under me. And I thought, this isn't this isn't good. <laughs> so I've like put the paddle in, backed it up and then waited for the next swell to come. And I've just like sort of flowed up with the swell up and over and the whole ski didn't touch anything. I thought, now this, how good is this? And then the rudder's just gone up, boom. And it's just gone straight up into the ski and at an angle. So not straight, which would have been fantastic. Cause I would have been able to paddle on through and steer with you. Um, yeah. Steer with your paddle. But, um, so I've had to jump in, flip the ski over, and I've seen it's in there. So I've started to, like, try and manipulate this thing out. Dean's on the escort boat watching. He's jumped in with a screwdriver or something to, to try and fix it all up. We're both sitting there, and I'm trying to punch the, the um, carbon fibre um, fin off, the rudder off, just to yeah. be able to the race. And at that stage, I think Sean came through, who ended up finishing second. And Sean came through and just went, geez, Corey's angry. Look at him. He's punching his ski. <laughs> He's punching his ski. But um, truth of it is, I was just trying to get the, get the rudder off. Uh, eventually admitted defeat. Went, what do we do here? Let's just put the ski on and um, very sheepishly go into shore and um, explain myself to, to everyone that I just raced and everybody on the beach that I think Trimmy, Mitchell Trim was over there. And um, he said, I'll come down and watch your finish. So he's come on down and heard that I was in the lead, in the lead, and then sees Hank finish, sees Sean finish, Clint, the rest of them. Um, and he was like, what's, what's going on with this guy? You know, like, yeah. so it was quite funny looking back at it now. And I think, I think my attitude towards it would be very different if I hadn't had the win the year before, because it would have been something that yeah. still eluded me. But um, having won the year before and having put that performance together, I was actually just more embarrassed that I, made this mistake but now it's become a part of me and um Yeah, geez. I'm actually yeah, I'm actually happy with the way that I dealt with it as a as an athlete and I think it made me put everything in perspective and go, you know what, it's 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 very important to me racing. I definitely want, you know, that third Molokai win that and when I have three, I want that fourth one that I never got and that sort of thing. But um it's not gonna determine who I am as a person or as an athlete either. And I'm I'm happy with how I dealt with that as a person, I guess.
0: Yeah. I remember, I think I was in Switzerland at the time and I I was trying to watch and I was trying to stay up and I sort of fell asleep because I stuck that 12 hour time difference and you're going really well. You're up front. And then I've woken up the next morning. I'm looking at the results. sheets, going, but where, what, what happened? I, I'm trying to call you and you're like on the opposite time zone. I'm like, uh, just what, what happened? And then you said that happened. And I was like, Oh my God. Like uh, my first impression was like, you idiot. Like how did you stuff that up? You had time, but I think that comes with the maturity that you're talking about, like you are tired, you're coming into that final section of the race and you just want to get to the finish line. Like you've almost already won the race at that point. So you're just like, I just need to get it done. I just need to get there as quickly as possible. And now I think that'll always be in your mind. Like you're like, okay, what is the smartest route to the finish line? Cause that's going to be the best one. I don't need to take that risk. And I think you are sort of going to go, you've learned that over time.
1: Yeah. Well, I- try and make sure of it within the first 50 kilometers and not have to rely on that last two. That would be,
0: yeah. that's the idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, well, yeah, it just, it was just like crazy to have that happen to you. And I think that sort of adds to your character and your, and your spirit of well, the way you approach things and the way you do sport, that you look back on it fondly, that you've sort of learned your lesson, and, but you already had that Molokai title and you do consider yourself very lucky to be able to do these races in the first place. So I think that's all yeah, cool. it's to also- you. It's also your mates,
1: I guess. Like the amount of messages that you get that from your mates that don't necessarily care too much for the result and just take this as um, a great opportunity, the opportunity to sort of have something over you for the rest of your life. So
0: yeah, um, the the rock spider. <laughs> yeah, it's not uh, bad. Yeah, and then so you've come away from that, and then you've you've gone back the next year or the year after that. So the next year after that, I think you got second or third.
1: Had a third. Yep. So, so Sean. Won Sean Rice year one. Year.
0: Yeah. And then you went back the year after that and won again. How was it to win it for the second time?
1: Um, that year was fantastic because straight out the blocks it was it was very windy and I think it was this must be the seventh time at the at the crossing. Um, and it was the first time that there was actually predicted wind. So it was it was great, you know, everyone was sort of frothing to just be there and understand that there's definitely going to be wind the next day. Cause every other year it was like a curse. It was windy on the Friday or Saturday. And then the Sunday would just be glass, like the most picturesque day. And um, it was horrible. So you rock up this year and you start to say, well, everyone is talking about this record and um, it's, it's very achievable. Um, the time was, the time was quick, but it was also outdated by surfcraft. I mean, it was before, it was before Fens were around. It was before they were racing on this equipment that was designed to, to do much quicker than the three hour twenty mark. So um, that in my head as well really made me want to win it because I do want to be known as a downwind paddler. So to win in the in the most extreme conditions and um, and break the record and break the record, have that to your name. And um, it was a twenty two year old record, right? Twenty two, twenty three year old record from Dean Gardner back in I don't know. 60s or something so
0: (laughs) um yeah ages ago
1: so from there we it was hank and myself are really having having a massive battle again out in the channel and um i just remember really digging deep at that stage like after 40 kilometers to go you know this is what you want to be known for and um you really want this record to your name who knows it might last another another 22 23 years so dug really deep and um, ended up getting hanked by, by 30 seconds. Um, and I thought, well, I hope this this will probably hold for 20 years and then flash forward to, to last year and um, debatably just as good, if not a bit better wind. Um, and hanked did the exact same thing back to me. So <laughs> I think if you do the math, I had it for less than a year.
0: <laughs> yeah, you did. But I think it's quite incredible, especially like you're talking about Hank there and one of the probably the one of the best or the best marathon surf ski combined paddler of the past two decades. Like he is just sort of transcending and he's still every race he goes, and he's, he's going to potentially win it. So you had that year where you and Hank were only like five seconds separated. It was kind of like West Coast versus Swans, like in back in 06, <laughs> I think it was you guys just work constantly on each other's cases. And there was just like you'd win and he'd win then you'd win. And it was just like, there was like five seconds between you guys. How was that turning up to each race knowing that you've got that like crazy battle every time you go in and sometimes it's like one run makes the, the difference between you winning and you losing. I was
1: reckon it's awesome. I, I mean, as much as it'd be cool to get to the end of the career and if he retired 10 years ago and have a couple of extra titles, um, I think it's even better to have um, something like this that you, you got to experience. And, and like we were talking about before, it makes you come home. Somehow he's training over in South Africa. I'm training here in Australia, doing completely different things as well. I mean, I'm doing clubby ski races. He's doing marathon paddling. And um, somehow you come together at these races and, and there's, there's not, next to nothing between you. I mean, worlds last year, it wasn't necessarily one of us winning either, but we had a third and a fourth and yeah, it seems to be that we are very, similar in in all sorts of conditions. So um for me, I'm 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 very grateful to have had this battle and to have this experience because it's it's motivated me, that's for sure. And um again, yeah, there might be more titles if if he wasn't there, but I don't know if it would have the same sort of feel to him. Like yep. we we're talking about before. It's it's like when you rocked up to sessions yourself and me. If you're just paddling by yourself and doing good times or something, there was there was no real incentive to know that you're actually beaten or you have to improve to beat someone. It, it's yeah, I think it's better for you personally and and uh, yeah as a human to to keep on coming back to Australia, back to the Gold Coast and going, all right, you know I've got to start to lift my game because there's there's this one person over there that's obviously doing doing much the same. And um, then when you break it down to a bigger field again, you've got yeah you've got your Sean Rice's, Kenny Rice's, and you know, the list goes on there. So it, it's, it's just pretty cool to to have these experiences and have these close races and um, people training all around the world that somehow come together and all finish within the first three minutes. I think that um the race on the th- Thursday night of Perth, the top 18 were in the top three minutes. So you go, it's yeah. one every in 10 seconds. How often does a run come through? It means if you miss a run, you're definitely back in back a position. So um, yeah. the sport's definitely heading in the right right way, right direction for a um to be very competitive and potentially in the future, the juniors that we do talk about, it might be a, an even more compacted um you know, top twenty.
0: Yeah, I think that's something you really touched on well there is how important your competitors are. Like you have the Hank McGregor's and the Sean Rices, the Kenny Rices. Um, originally, like the Tim Jacobs, like the guys you idolized, it's they really push you to be better. And I find that, especially when I'm doing races, I really try and thank all my competitors for the race mm. because when you win and you know that like there's like three or four or five other guys that like wanted it as much as you did, but you were able to get that victory on the day, or you weren't. It's it's so special because like you know, like it all means so much to the the group of you guys who. We're trying to win that race and I think that keeps pushing you forward and keeps making you want to turn up to more races so I think that's a really really important part of sport and as you said like if those guys weren't there and you're winning by five minutes or something like that yes it would be great because you would have that title but it just in in yourself it wouldn't mean as much would it
1: no exactly and and I guess it comes back to just being the best that you can be. I mean, if you came home and knew that you only had to train at 70% to be the best in the world, you'd probably just do that. And that's, you know, it, it's just natural. It, if you don't have any, it's, it's the reason that, you know, these Olympic athletes or the world records keep on getting that little bit better is because generation after generation, they figure out little bits and pieces of how to get that bit better. If it's technology, if it's um, different bits of training, whatnot. But, um, yeah, it's all about consistency and making sure that you're doing everything right.
0: Yeah. And we did have a question um, come through as well about like, what, what do you do in your training plan for something like say the Molokai or the doctor? Like what, like what would your week look like leading into that? I know your weeks are very different to sort of the conventional training patterns. Like you train when you're feeling good, you train when you have time um, and you probably don't do as many kilometers as others. Um, Has that changed? Like as you've gotten older and mature or is it still, um, I know that's 60 sort of 70k week.
1: Generally speaking, I think for the doctor and that sort of race, definitely. Like every every session that I get to, I do it at quality. So I don't really get to a session and do an hour of just paddling or technique. It's it's if I'm on the river, you're doing 2k efforts at at, at your best pace. If you're out in the ocean then you might be doing 70, 80% into it. But then when you're chasing the runs, you're not missing a run and making it very much um, race specific. So when you flash back to this time of year, any other year, <laughs> not this year, um, you'd be doing really long sessions on the Wednesdays and the, and the um, Saturdays or trying to really mix up and I'd, I'd try and hit 50 Ks from the Friday, Saturday or Saturday, Sunday, just to get that, that distance in you and just be on the ski, sitting in that position for, three to four hours just to make sure that you're, um, that you're used to it. And I think that's flashing back to maturity back in the day. I don't think we did that. I think we'd rock up and, you know, the, the biggest paddle we did with 30 Ks and we'd go, yeah, but we're young and fit. We'll just, we'll just get there. We'll make do. And we would, yeah. but looking at it now, you just go, you could have done it
0: much better.
1: So yeah, definitely um, mm, And yeah.
0: <laughs> I remember going to Molokai one year, I think my furthest paddle was like 24 K as you say, it's just like, what what were we thinking?
1: And you're probably leading at twenty four K.
0: Yeah. I felt really good. And then I realised that the race starts after that. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. So um yeah, I think it's it's interesting. This year I made a conscious effort to uh, to start to do a little bit more and get to get to Molokai and really, you know, see what it looks like to have done absolutely everything and then um obviously that's been put on hold as well. So very keen and itchy to get back to, to proper training and see what this year looks like with, you know, having done everything, everything right.
0: Yeah. And how, and how has that been like mentally, I've spoken to a lot of athletes who I've even myself who've really sort of had a bit of time to sort of struggle and adjust to the, the big change that's happened with this COVID-19 and not being able to train, not being able to go out in training groups, not being able to travel at all. Like it's taken mm-hmm. away sort of, a very, very big part of your life. Like probably like a third of your life is focused on actually surf ski paddling and going to events and winning races. And how has that been for you?
1: I guess it's tricky to, at the moment it's it doesn't seem, it almost seems like we're in a dream, but I think that's everyone. From, yeah. from everyone that goes to work on a Monday to Friday, nine to five. And, and for us that gets up most mornings or goes for a paddle most afternoons to to get that sort of taken away for this, you know, like I say, an invisible war at the moment seems seems bizarre. But um, I'm very busy, so I've, I'm an accountant by trade, and um, probably had more phone calls throughout this period than than in the normal period. So uh, it's my obligation at the moment to to give good advice and um, and roll with the punches in that in that um, area, and you know to get through this all together obviously like they keep saying and um once travel bans get lifted and everyone can go back to to normal life then it'll be interesting to see how everyone has fared throughout this period because i know you know south africa are not allowed on water we're allowed on water but not in groups so there's just so much disparity amongst different countries and regions and whatnot and it might get to a stage where they might open our borders but Europe might not be open or America might not be open or vice versa. We might not be open, but the rest of the world is. So,
0: yeah, um,
1: I guess for now we've just got to watch this space, do what we can. And, um, you know, 2020 is a write off.
0: (laughs) It is a bit. And I remember, um, I was talking to Sean Rice one time and he was talking about being like a global citizen. And I was like, it's, it's never been more apparent that we are global citizens and how something like this can really affect the whole world. Like, and, we have friends all around the place who are being affected in different ways. Like it's something that's so unprecedented. It's a word that's been used a lot, and I, I know I struggle with it to start with. But as you say, you just got to put your time and effort into something that you're passionate about. And you're obviously passionate about helping people with their accounts and their taxation, which might sound a bit funny, but it, it is it is quite a passion for yours. Because I know you ring me up, and I've got a list of things that I need to get sorted for, for my taxation. So how? I guess how is your business going? Like, what is it called? And, um, like where do you, where do you operate?
1: Um, so I'm CN Hill accountants, which is, uh, me obviously. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been, it's been good. It's, you know, grown week after week, month after month currently, which is, which has been fantastic because people and, you know, businesses start to start to trust you and see what you're doing for other people. You start to get referrals and, um, I think you've touched on it in the past as well, that, that business is just like a competitive sport where you're actually competing for business at stages and you're um, you're seeing growth, which is the results. So yep. uh, if I've got a goal in mind, you've got a goal in mind with your business and, and you'd love to see you achieve more than just sport. I want to achieve something in business. I want to achieve, you know, we talk about prosperity a lot where, I want to see other people prosper as well. I want to see them achieve their goals and help them out where I can and um, be the best accountant and give the best advice that I can as well. So um, in this time off of, of racing, I've got a lot more time to do that, which is which is fantastic in one degree and, and everything happens for a reason. So potentially this is the reason to, to, to build on this now and um, you know, just build. So it's, it's take, trying to take it as a positive.
0: Yeah. I think that's, And that's and that's the approach that we all need to have. I think oh, I've done that a little bit as well. Like there's a lot of passion projects I had sitting there that I've just never had time to touch because I've been traveling, I've been racing, I've been trying to to keep everything sort of moving the whole time. And as they say, you're sort of working in your business, not working on your business. So it's been a bit of time at the moment where I've been able to sort of take a step back and okay, go, okay, what are the areas that I can work on that I have time for now? And, and that sort of resulted in this sort of podcast and um, trying to establish other things, making sure my, my training site's like perfect and like trying to really compete against the biggest training um, brands and that, that sort of thing out there. So that's something that I've been trying to focus on. It's cool to see that you're taking that positive as well.
1: Yeah, exactly. No, it's, and it is, it is good. Like uh, obviously um,
0: like you said, I've got a list for you. So <laughs> got to get onto it today after this call. But um, when you're... So when we're you going down to surf races and that sort of thing, like you've got the Shuron Partners race team, you've got the Shuron Partners race week, like how important is that sort of influence on our sport?
1: I think it's... You know, you look back at when we were... I was 20... I think I was 27 for the first Molokai win, maybe 26. And, um, you know, looking at yourself as well... We were the first people to. Well, I, I think we were the first people to start to, you know, see our skis and ourselves as, you know, advertising space and that sort of thing, and 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 look at it like, guys, if you want to, you know, help us, we can help you as well. And um, throughout the throughout the time, and I, I don't know how is this the fourth? I think it must be the fourth or fifth year with Shaw and Partners. Now we met we met all
0: boat, heading across boat to- in twenty sixteen. Twenty sixteen, there you go. Yeah, I just after I won my first world title and remember Dean just sort of said, Oh, there's a few guys in the boat, I just go around and have a chat and we just started speaking to them like they were normal people and eventually one thing led to another and it all takes us sort of on the Tuesday after the race and was like we should we should get um, involved with you guys.
1: Hmm. Which is which is
0: you know, it's it's
1: taken the sport from one position straight to the next because now, you know, we've got the opportunity I I look at the sport from what it was and what we were racing for in a, in a monetary sense back in the day compared to what it is now. And, it, and it's, it's chalk and cheese. So that's fantastic for the youth to come through as well and be able to chase um, almost a, almost a living or, or a portion of living through surf ski racing or through the sport. And um, hopefully in return, we are also doing our part to, to also um, help with the journey. So it's just fantastic to have people jump on board, share this with you. And, you know, they're just so happy to support. And when you're out there racing, it's something that I do focus on as well that, you know, at the end of the race, it's not just me, Koda, and Lani. There's, there's such a support network. Like I'm, I'm guaranteed to have so many people behind me, whether it's a win or loss. And, and in the past, there has been some heavy losses that they've helped you get through as well, where they, where they really pick you back up and say, you know, you're human, you lose, Yeah. you know, and um, yeah, I think without those names on the shirt, it's a bit of a lonely sport.
0: And there's two things. Yeah. There's two so things you're talking. when you're trying to
1: take it professionally, you know, when you're trying to take something professionally and there's no one to share those wins and losses, it does get quite lonely.
0: Yeah. I remember like one of those key things that you said to me um, when we first started racing, you used to always say like, I email my sponsors after every race. I let them know how I'm going and what I'm doing. And it's something that I've sort of taken from you. And I think that sort of professionalism is helping push the sport. Like when when we first started, I think we went down to Trent Golding's office and I think it was the Ramshark office or something at that time. And we spent those nights like logoing our shirts. And that was, I think the first year we did it was the year that you won your first Molokai. And we had the brands on our shirt and we're just trying to help be more of a I guess a a brand and a a marketing thing for our sponsors so we could be able to do what we wanted to do because that's all we wanted to do at the time like it wasn't about making money it was just about okay I really want to go to to Mauritius or I want to go to Tahiti or I want to go to um, the doctor or whatever it was at the time and you were just trying to get enough money just to go to those races and that sort of has really helped I think get to this point where we do have more professional sponsors and inside of our community there is more Um, involvement. People really want to like help support the sport and bring the juniors in. And I think that was sort of really instrumental to where the sport is now.
1: Yeah, exactly. And just showing your support back to, to these corporations because to to begin with, it was obviously the people within the sport. So you had like your Varkobis, your Fens and Ocean Paddler, Bennett Paddles, you know, you're, you're looking at those guys and obviously they're giving you equipment and craft to, to use and, and we back that 100%. And then vice versa, is just showing, it's just showing our appreciation and saying this is you know, who we're aligned with and these guys help us get to the line. Without them, it's, it's not possible. So um, you're able to take a much more professional approach. And I think for, for both of us, I can honestly say that um, I wouldn't be where I am today without that support because I'd be working nine till five a lot more often.
0: And then, you, uh, yeah, and then you talk about your support network as well. Like you have obviously really strong sponsors and you really respect them. You're actually a part, they're part of your journey. They're not just like a, a logo on your shirt. They're actually uh, friends and the people that we actually like go to for advice and speak to are, are on a really regular occasion because they are really genuinely interested in our journey. What advice um, do you have to any of those juniors coming through or any of the guys out there right now? Like what can they sort of do better, not only to help themselves, but to help the sport keep moving forward?
1: I guess show your appreciation and, and really, you know, these guys are within the sport and doing the right thing by the athlete. So the athlete should also represent that back to them. So from, from a race perspective, make sure that you've definitely got the stickers on that sort of thing. I mean, it looks fantastic when every stick, every craft has an aligned scare, ski, uh, ski arrangement just looks so much better from a promotional side. And that's something that we can all be pr- proud of when they, um say for instance there's 100 grand on the doctor and and any other race around the world it, it's it support the guys that are supporting the sport so um again be proud of what you're what you're paddling with or paddling in so for us obviously we've we've um been very lucky to have like i said before those those guys on board and, and we back them 100 percent as much as they back us and um they are all mates got them all saved in the phone as their first name is not the corporation they're involved with. So it's, That's it's, right. it's awesome.
0: Yeah. Um, and you've had, and you've had sort of a, a relationship ongoing with um, Fen and Ocean Paddler and Dean now for some time. Like you obviously started out with the, the Epic skis and probably the Dolphin surf crafts before that. Um, how has that relationship fostered? Like I know I see Dean as a really good friend and a, and a mate of mine, and I think you have the same relationship with him. Like how important has Dean's influence been on the sport and to yourself um getting to where you are.
1: I guess for the sport in general, it's you know he was or is the sport to a degree in Australia. Without without some of the races that he puts on, there isn't a lot to to sort of get motivated for. So um we we touched back to the first race that we did do. It was a Fenn Cup, I'm pretty sure, down in Sydney. That was run by Dean. Then what do we go to next? You go to the doctor, you know that was Dean. So um throughout my surf ski sort of career so far um he's been second to none the advice that he's given before races during races you know it's it's just fantastic to have him on board and um as a point of call but like you said as well as much as you take <clears throat> his advice and that sort of thing we've um also had so many good times with him as a on a mate level and it, again, it's it's a sponsor, but he's also a great a great friend and I'd probably take that more so than than the sponsor.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think um talking about support structures as well, like how important has your family been to you sort of coming through and, and doing sport? Like you've got Jackie and Gav, your parents, and Jessie, your sister, and now Lani, your wife, and, and Koda, like how important is that sort of support structure to come home to and sort of know that they're backing you the whole way and um, just, you know you're not just doing it for yourself now, you're doing it for them as well.
1: It's been interesting from a parent level, I guess, because, you know, I think I look at Coda now who walks or runs or pushes something or laughs and all, does all this sort of thing. And I I, know, I just like tell my mum, I go like, how, how funny is this? Or watch this. And like, look how proud I am of this, you know, <laughs> really small achievement that he's doing. Yeah. And um, she just points out, you know, like that's still the way that I look at you, the stuff that you're doing, hopping on that plane back in the day to go to Hong Kong and Dubai. It's she's she says that's the same sort of feeling you're gonna have for the rest of your life. So for me to hear that from mum and know that dad's exactly the same, it's it's been it's been awesome. And then and then Lani is my biggest supporter as well. She's she lives and breathes um what I do. And there's not many holidays that we get without a paddle in hand or waiting for oversized baggage and you're, <laughs> you're exactly the same. So, um, you know, it was Ireland last year where Sean ran away with the race and just, you know, dominated. And one of the first things on, says, is like, all right, well, when we get back home, how do we, how do we improve that portion of your race? And I was just like, out!" that's how much these people are in your corner. So it's, um, sponsors, family, everyone that's, you know, really showing their support and, um, it's only fair to, to show it back when it's, when it's their time as well.
0: Yeah. And I think that's just so important. Like, I know I just say like Christy for me is exactly the same. And my parents like absolutely love what I do and those support structures actually push you to, to do more, to do better. And they actually get you through the tough times that you're speaking about earlier. Um, and, but you also have a lot of good friends. I know that have sort of really kept your ground and kept you down to earth. And, um, how important are your are your sort of your friendships as well for your sort of racing? Because people don't understand, like, and your fans as well. Like there's obviously people out there who just love Corey Hill, love who he represents, like why he does things and how good he is at at events. Like how important are your friends and your fans?
1: Yeah. Again, you know, it, it comes back to this massive support network that in the scheme of things, I'm going out there and, and doing the best at something that I love. And then you get a result or you might not necessarily get the result, but the support that you get from, from mates, family sponsors, Behind the scenes is is just massive, you know. Like I hit the rocks, and the first thing that I get is a pretty long winded from um cow booth to say, pretty much you suck and what what, what were you thinking sort of <laughs> sort of thing. And um yeah, you come back home, you get a coffee or have a beer, and um, nothing's really nothing's really changed in the sense of what he thinks of me. So, um, it's it's awesome to have people like that in in your life to to really keep you grounded. Remember to remind you what's Actually, important in this life, and um, yeah, it's it's just awesome to have people like that in your life. And 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 again, a lot of people are in the sport and our mates that either follow along or you know we've had yourself, we've had Michael Heinard, Ali Days started to do a couple of sessions with us as well, and um, Gaily back in back two years ago to a year ago. There's so many people that come on these adventures with us and that's what they are the, the sort of trips of a lifetime from us traveling to hong kong and not even knowing where we're staying to staying at the halakalani last year and in, in hawaii it's 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 all just one massive adventure and ride and and i've been so happy to to meet so many different people along the way
0: yeah. It's, it's just such an incredible community and experience to sort of have all these people being involved. And um, as you say, like you create so many great memories and we, and we have all these fantastic experiences to look back on and there's so many more to come um, this year. I guess it's it's a really unknown, but like, what's next for Corey here? Like I know you're really focusing on your accounting now, trying to get to establish that a little bit more and then hopefully racing at some point. Like, what do you see in the next three, five, 10 years? Like, do you see yourself being like a Hank McGregor and, Keep and Dean Garden racing till you're fifty, or what, what's next?
1: Okay, um, I don't, I don't really know. But all I do know in the next you know, five years, and I've been speaking to Ali about this lately, is is I want to look back at you know today and go, what I have achieved so far was so far off of what I have achieved to that date. So yeah. I want to continue you know, I, I've got a bit of a, you know, chip on my shoulder about podiums. It's where I've, I've been on a podium now for five years straight of the international races. And it might be six after this year if we don't get a race, but. Um, yeah,
0: true. <laughs> but
1: that's one of those things we are talking about before, being honest and.
0: Yeah. And just accepting things for what they are. But just, I just um discredit this
1: year, but yeah, you know, like I, I really want to keep on the podium. I want to end up with potentially seven or eight, doctor races I want to I definitely want to get to three three four five Molokai races I want to win a race in Mauritius because there's been no Australian to do so I want to win in the Hood River because it's the biggest um you know North American race I want to win in Ireland because it's it's this new this new race and there's so many little goals that I have um for the for the near future but I I guess I want to look back at the 30 year old Corey and go you know I look at when I was twenty, I didn't really even think that what I've achieved to date was possible. And then I want to look at it when I'm forty and go, um, I, should, I should have double that. You know, I want now I've got that belief and support network like we keep talking about behind me. Um, I want to continue that into the future and, and look at today's date and just go that was unsuccessful in, in real terms to, to what I can achieve in the future.
0: Well, mate, I have to say it's been unreal chatting to you as always, and I'm sure I'll chat to you, um, off air, um, going forward, but really appreciate your time. And I'm sure all the listeners out there will really appreciate you coming on today. So thanks a lot.
1: Thank you too. Hit the books, mate.
0: Cheers, mate. I will. And, um, everyone out there who's listening or watching, thank you so much for following BoothCast. It's been a really amazing journey so far. And if there's anyone you'd like me to interview, um, going forward, please let me know in the comments or on the podcast. Um, you can watch, um, all the, all the episodes on Facebook, um, it's on a Boothcast on Michael Booth Facebook page. Or if you'd like to listen to it, I've now put them on um, all the podcast channels out there. Not on iTunes just yet, but will be soon. So your best bet is Spotify or going to Anchor forward slash Boothcast and you can find out your favorite podcast channel there. Uh, thanks again and I will talk to you all soon. Thanks so much. Thanks, Corey.
1: Thanks, Matt.